0: Welcome, it's the MEND podcast with Joe Roder and Red's Fly Shop. Chatting fishing, getting right to the point, giving you just what you need to know and nothing you don't. So, it is Monday morning. I um, think I might try to start something uh, like a Monday minute type of thing. There's a podcast that I, I really like, it's the Hunt Backcountry Podcast. And uh, it's all about backcountry hunting, ultralight backcountry hunting gear. And they do that like just like a sub 10 minute Monday thing. Uh I, I have a hard time keeping it under 10 minutes. <laughs> but uh I am going to try to do more frequent, shorter, kind of to the point podcasts all of 2021. But I think Monday is kind of a good day to do that uh, and just be disciplined about it um and get it done. So uh, things upcoming, uh, one thing I want to tell you about uh, is we are going to host a, and when I say virtual, it's not virtual in the sense that you're going to be fishing virtually. It is just, uh, you don't need to necessarily come to like home base Red's Fly Shop here to participate in this. Uh, we have teamed up with a group out of Denver, um, 25 on the fly. And uh, these guys put on these essentially scavenger hunts for 25 different species of trout. And or not trout, fish. I don't know if there's twenty-five species of trout in the world. <laughs> uh 25 different fish species on the fly. So hence the name 25 on the fly. And our event is going to be called the 509 25 on the fly. 509 is our area code here in eastern Washington. Uh and in the Northwest, it's uh like the the 509 area code uh if for a lot of folks it just represents recreation um the east side of the cascade mountains is our area code and that is where a lot of fly fishermen come to recreate in the sun because we're in the rain shadow and the high desert uh in this half of washington so if you've never been here before it looks a lot like southern idaho or you know parts of montana um, it's like ponderosa forests and rolling shrub step you know habitat coming off the east slopes of the cascade. So. 509 25. Now you can fish anywhere in Washington State. If you're listening to this and you live in Washington, you need to get on this and get in this tournament. We're going to open registration about the next ten days probably. Uh, and it's going to be a fun tournament. It's not hyper competitive. It basically works like this. You sign up, two person teams, you start fishing on June twelfth. You uh you know, get out your maps, uh, you do your research, we can help with that. And you look at the species list and you figure out how to catch as many of those species as you can in two days. And you just record a little video clip of yourself with the fish using an app uh, on your smartphone. Have your fishing partner record it. And then that automatically you submit that off your phone and uh, it goes on the leaderboard. Uh, so, and then uh, the cool thing is if you're in the tournament, you get to see all the cool stuff. People are catching real time and what teams have how many species, etc. There's going to be a ton of swag bags and prizes uh, and a lot of little sub competitions uh, within the tournament. There will be like a probably a two fly tournament uh, that's kind of a sub tournament inside this thing by sponsored by the umqua uh, Fly Company. Anyway, there'll be a lot of cool stuff. A lot of stuff's going to get given away and uh, just in light of the social distancing climate we may or may not be up against in June, the cool thing is to participate. All you got to do is swing in here on Friday afternoon or Saturday morning. Or if you absolutely can't make it, maybe you live in a far-reaching corner of the state. Just let us know early in the week, and we will FedEx your stuff to you that you need for the tournament, which is basically just a lanyard that hangs around your neck. That It's like a badge that proves you're actually in the tournament. So Anyway, that's going to be June 12th and 13th. Uh, 509 25 on the fly. It's going to be amazing. Uh, we're going to offer, I think, 75 teams. And, uh, if you're listening to this and don't live in Washington, there are other 25 on the fly tournaments in other parts of the country. These guys came up with a really cool idea. They're good at managing these things. Uh, go to 25on the and I'll try to remember to put a link in the description of this podcast. Okay. So we got that going. Uh, you know, If you haven't got your calendar out and started to plan where and when you are going fishing this year, January is the time where if your goal is to fish more this year, get your calendar out, pick a few destinations, do a little research, and start blocking out some space for yourself. Nobody's going to get your calendar out and do it for you. And uh, I can't encourage you enough to just set that time aside. And then you have to make a promise to yourself that... No matter what the conditions are, rain or shine, muddy water, clear water, you go fishing. If you you peeled off that date, you got to go because there is... I've done podcasts on this before. There is a lot of value in going fishing in bad conditions because you can do things or learn things that you can't in good conditions. So, for instance, if you show up at your stream... And it's bad conditions and it's muddy and you're not catching fish. That's a great opportunity to drive that that watershed, learn new places to hike in, new places to park, great new access points. All of that has value. And uh, you can mark those. I recommend using the base map app. Um, you can go to redsflyshop.com slash base or basemap.com slash reds and uh, you can get a like a little deal on that, you get like 10% off. It's already a pretty affordable app anyways, the subscription, but I don't want to go into too much detail, but it allows you to basically, you know, mark all this stuff and take photos of it on your smartphone, you know, which, you know, you have a GPS component to it, and then it overlays with your account on your desktop. So I do my research on my desktop. I put mark, when I go to a new river, i give you the short version here. Let's just say I'm looking at a new river. I'm going to go fishing there. I will use the base map, my base map account on my PC. I, there's a bunch of different satellite imagery layers you can choose from. I try to find whatever one works best for that area. It also has private um, and public ownership layers. So I can see if I'm looking at public land, private land alongside the river. It's important stuff to know. So, what I will do is in advance, I will put is usually about five markers. Let's say I'm wade fishing and I'm not worried about putting in or taking out. I'll put five markers on an area in different parts of this river where I know I can park within a reasonable distance of the river. Sometimes I'll pick a few where I look, it looks like I can park and maybe hike into a more remote area, or I will put markers where the river meets the road that I'm going to use and bows around in a big half circle and then meets up the road again. And I love hiking those loops, those half circles. So basically I'll park, I'll try to mark a few places where I can park, and then maybe wait a half mile to a mile in a big bend, and then fish my way back to the road, and then hike the road back to my car. And I can either hike the road first or second, doesn't matter. But what I do then is I don't got to hike through the brush or back through the river, rewalk a bunch of water I've already been through. So anyway, the Base map app is really good for that. And I put five markers on there. And anytime I go to a new place, I always check out all five. I don't get caught up just fishing the first one or two. But I drive the river first and look at all of my different markers. And I try to stay on task, go to those markers, and I rule them in or out. And usually out of five of them, I usually really like just two or three of them. I keep those ones, add some more in the process to check out. And pretty soon I've got... Even if I only fish a river a couple of times a year, I know where I'm going to park and where I'm going to go before I even get there, which is a huge advantage. So I think this base map thing is going to be a really big, uh, learning. I don't wanna say learning curve, but it'll be a very, uh, powerful tool to be leveraged in this 25 on the fly tournament because part of the conditions of that, uh, the little fishing tournament, fishing scavenger hunt, let's say, uh, Tournament sounds too competitive. I'm sure some people will take it real serious. I think other people are just going to take it as an opportunity to kind of learn and and rub elbows and just participate in something that's really fun and learn learn about some new species and new spots they didn't know about before. But I think that base map component is going to be important because the fish need to be caught on water that is publicly accessible. So no fishing in the private golf course ponds. You know where you're a member. Uh, and you know, there to be like four different types of perch, um, crappie, bluegill, carp, catfish, whatever, whatever lives in golf course ponds. Uh, but the base map tool is going to be important. Okay. Well, I think I just need to move on, um, to our subject matter today. So subject matter today is going to be, uh, how to tie up the perfect light line strike indicator system. Okay. Okay. So this is something I've been doing for years, many years, and I have not really done a great job of sharing this exact setup, uh, but I was tying it up guiding the other day, and uh, I was with a dude uh, who has fished a lot, and he was just like, God, that's genius, and uh, he he kind of got it because he's, he's a pretty advanced angler, and uh, he really was like, dude, that is like, he was kind of blown away, He's like, I'd never thought of doing anything like that before, I'm like, yeah, man, it works. Now, the thing about having really good setups, you need to make sure that you're not using the wrong indicator at the wrong time. Okay, Last podcast I did was called, I think, Don't Forget About the Strike Indicator. I use strike indicators a lot, especially guiding. My personal preference is is typically direct line nymphing, just because I've enjoyed that. It's, it's, It's a newer discipline to me, but I still use indicators. There's lots of times you need to use them. You need to have both tools at your disposal. Now, uh in Indicator Rig, there's something you need to know about nymph fishing. Okay? And this escaped me for a long time. And I kind of stumbled into this system just through the trial and error of guiding every day and trying to make it easy for my guests to catch fish, where I don't have to grind on them and grate on them and nitpick their drifts and holler at them to set the hook. I want my I want how I'm talking them, you know. I want to really patiently talk them through the philosophy of the drift that we need that day, and I want the gear. I want the gear to do a lot of work for them, not do it for them, but I want it, the gear to, to to be manageable. And I, I generally want my nymph setups to be light and delicate and fun because fly fishing really is a it's a finesse art. And when you when you start to get large bobbers, let's just say I'm going to talk about what I call a trad rig, traditional nymphing rig, and that is a three quarter inch thingamabobber six feet down. We get a chunk of split shot, a stonefly nymph, and some type of flashy beadhead. And a bunch of your listener right now going, "Hey, that's my nymph rig, dude." That's everybody's nymph rig. I mean, that's how everybody starts. That's how I started. That was the paradigm for a long time. This is how you nymph. This is how you're supposed to nymph. Get down there on the bottom. Make sure you're snagging up a lot, which is a freaking miserable way to fish. Okay, I don't want you to do that. There's better ways to do things, right? So what happens in nymphing that you need to know is that if your indicator is too buoyant or heavy, it will begin to direct the pace, direction, and speed of your flies, Okay, you, you do not want the indicator doing all of the driving. Now a few of you are like, "Hey, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. The indicator I put that in the seam line and drifted down there. Uh, you want the nymph to have you want the nymph to have some say in what the drift is doing because the nymph is going to be in very different water speeds than the indicator. Just think about it. When you lay out a cast, typically your nymph is going to hit in one seam and your indicator is going to hit in another uh it doesn't just fall straight under that indicator and the indicator being on the surface is going to be in water that is at least twice as fast as the bottom half of the water column typical nymphing, you're going to be in the bottom half of the water column you don't necessarily have to be bouncing bottom there are lots of times the trout actually prefer a suspended fly so the the indicator needs to be light enough and delicate enough to be moved by the fly itself okay which is why i really anytime i can fish lighter flies i'm always going to use some type of yarn indicator or new zealand style system and it doesn't mean i don't use thingamabobbers i i use them a lot when the water is high and swirly and i'm going to use larger stonefly nymphs because a large nymph can move that thingamabobber around where it's supposed to go, and I need some additional buoyancy and kind of some recovery buoyancy out of the indicator, meaning if it gets sucked under a whirlpool for a moment, I need that indicator to pop back up. So there's still a place for thingamabobbers and and corkies or airlocks or whatever you're going to use, or a balloon type style indicator. But when you have a New Zealand style system or a yarn indicator, and I'm just going to say yarn indicator, okay, as far as general syntax, just something with yarn. It can be wool. It can be poly yarn. It can be a couple of different types of watershed type yarn. Um, it really doesn't matter. It's just yarn, all right? The easiest way to do this is get a small yarn strike indicator if you're transitioning into this type of setup, okay? You can use the ones with the rubber O-rings. That's fine. Eventually, you're going to want to tie your own in or use the New Zealand tool to attach them. But a yarn indicator is light and delicate. Think of it a little bit like a feather. And we want that feather just buoyant enough to be able to suspend a nymph, but not so buoyant that it can just take off and start running away with the nymph behind it. Uh, That nymph needs to be able to slow that feather's drift down. Now, the feather will stay floating on the surface, but the nymph moving slower in the bottom half of the water column will actually... Cause that feather or that yarn decator to float at a slower pace. And this is absolutely critical that that nymph can do some of the driving. Okay. So, fundamentally speaking, you can hold more delicate drifts far longer with that yarn decator style indicator. Okay. The more buoyant that indicator is, the more delicate and fluffy it is, the more of an ability that nymph has to slow the indicator down or even pull the indicator over toward itself. Okay, So now you can actually cast and fish your nymph and know that that yarn indicator is actually going to draw towards the nymph as it sinks, which is a big deal. Now, if your yarn indicators begin to get waterlogged, that is extremely problematic. That won't work because they will begin to float too fast when they have water in them. And you also can't do a lot of that guide voodoo stuff where you pick the, you delicately pick that feather like indicator up and mend it over toward your nymph, toward a cliff wall, toward a brush pile, and you begin to be able to essentially do these micro roll casts and move that indicator around the river. Maybe you got a boulder coming up and you want to push your, your, your drift toward the boulder. You can lift your rod tip up and delicately roll cast just the indicator. You can leave the fly in the water. It acts as a pivot point. You can actually delicately pick that that feather up and push it toward that boulder, or that log, or that ledge without having to recast. The control you have is immense. I think a lot of you, if you were to see me operate this setup, um, you know, side by side, um, it would be a humbling experience. I know I've had a lot of those myself. To go, okay, I thought of myself as a pretty good nymph fisherman. And then you see a guy, an angler with my level of experience, drive that, that yard indicator system around the river, essentially pushing it from rock to rock to ledge without having to recast and using that fly really as a pivot point to anchor. I can drop that fly into little micro buckets because every time I, I delicately pick that indicator up in the air and push it over the fly, that fly plummets. And I can actually drop it into little micro buckets as I go along often in a boat. Um, the Yarn system that I'm going to talk you through, uh, and there's a picture of it in this podcast thumbnail description. And um, as always, I invite you to check out the full blog article at RedsFlyShop.com slash blog um, to see more information about it. But what I like to do is uh, I like to tie in my own or use the New Zealand tool. Okay, now you can do either one. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take some either some polypropylene yarn. Um, The New Zealand wool works really well, uh, and uh, you can do one of two things. The New Zealand kit is really tidy. If you just take a minute and learn how to use it, I think you'll really, really appreciate it. And at times, I will slide that indicator up a little bit. It's not my first preference, but maybe I need to go two feet deeper. I can actually take and slide that indicator up just on friction. There's a little piece of rubber um, material rubber tubing material that acts as a friction lock and you just slide it up if you want to go a little deeper and then slide it back down to the knot that I'm going to describe when you are going to do your short line nymphing which is what I do 90% of the time with this rig so all right let me talk you through the rig here uh, so it's incredibly effective it's a delicate floater it'll hold drifts longer with less mending and it floats the right speed And it can allow you to just walk that nymph right into the trout with little noise and less maintenance and mending it. These drifts have way more staying power uh, than a bobber drift. Okay. So what we're going to start with is you can just take, you know, any of your old kind of tired, tapered leaders, something that the tippet has been broke off a few times and you've been patching it up and you, you probably should throw it away to be quite honest, but If you can get about four to five feet out of that leader like a seven and a half foot 4x or 3x tapered leader you can start with that as a butt section and you're gonna you're gonna feel with your fingers where that taper goes from a real thick butt section and then aggressively tapers into a much thinner diameter and where that tapers down to about zero x you know not a Not not thin, but definitely not thick. We want it to be right on that taper because we want that indicator to have a little bit of flexibility right at the indicator to move around and follow the right current seams. If you put that indicator in like 20 or 30 pound butt section, that is where most of your drag comes from is that stiff butt section in the fly line. We want that indicator out in the flexible portion of that leader, okay? So... You need about four feet from the end of your fly line, and what you can do is you're going to tie... I think the first thing you want to do is tie on a Rio tippet ring, and I like the large ones for this operation because they tend to move around a little bit better, and about four feet down where it gets to be about 0x diameter, uh, you're going to tie with a non-slip mono loop. You're going to tie that Rio tippet ring on just as though it was the eye of a hook, okay? I'll put a link in the podcast description for the non-slip mono loop, all right? And you're just going to tie that on like it was a fly. And that's going to leave that ring hinging around and kind of moving around on that loop, all right? So that's the magic of this setup, other than the yarn indicator portion. And that's going to allow that fly and that tippet to hinge and just fall and plummet like a rock right underneath that indicator. Now, this is a huge advantage because it's going to give you far more direct connectivity between that indicator in your fly. So if I need to get my fly, say, three feet down or four feet down, now I will generally run just three or four feet of tippet because I know I'm going to be able to drive this drift just right and have that 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 nymph, that beadhead nymph, usually a tungsten jighead nymph is, is a fast sinker. It works good. You don't have to use them, but that's my personal preference. I want density there, and I will run 5X tippet on this most of the time, even to my small stonefly nymphs. I'll run 5X just because 5X sinks really fast. And I'm indicator nymphing with Euro rods for the most part anymore. The soft tips on these 10 foot three weights or 10 foot two weights and such, they protect light tippet. I, I think that, you know, this yarn indicator rig on a Euro rod is just the cat's meow. So, uh, you're going to tie that on and uh, you're going to tie that tippet onto the tippet ring. And so now basically you've got, you know, a butt section, with no indicator yet, a non-slip mono loop tied to the tippet ring, and then say four feet of tippet. And with a traditional nymphing rig where you don't create this hinge setup, you generally need to run your tippet length below the indicator at least one and a half times the water's depth to consistently be near the bottom. But the problem is you don't have good direct connection between your indicator and the fly, you end up missing a lot more fish. You have a lot more weight on there and it doesn't fish nearly as good in softer, slower edges. And I have just found the softer, slower edges to hold a lot more trout than what people realize. People tend to have more success in fast water because it masks imperfections in their drift. But I think you're walking over the top and passing up a lot of fish on softer edges. Um, And these Yarn indicators fish really good on these soft edges, you can actually hold the suspended drift in there very delicately. So we've got uh, essentially we've got if we added four feet of tip it, we had about four feet of butt section. We've got about an eight foot total leader right now, and now we're going to add some type of yarn indicator, and we're going to put that within an inch or two of that non-slip mono loop. Now, ideally, you put that indicator right at the knot for that mono loop and so you have that hinge you know right there exactly at the indicator that's going to fish the best okay that's going to drop the fastest it's going to give you the quickest response time on your indicator okay the the only downside is i tend to get a few more tangles uh in false casting I tend to get a few more jumble ups. When I'm running it myself, I don't mind. I'll usually run the indicator right to the knot. When I'm guiding a lot, I'll run it up about two inches just to give a little bit of turnover between that indicator and that hinge. And that t- tends to, to cast just a little bit better. Uh, so you're, but you definitely need that indicator, uh, within about two inches of that tippet ring. That's, that's the kind of the ideal spot, um, in my mind as you're starting this when it comes to indicators, I'll put a few links in there. I suggest you, you need to have a variety of indicators in the whole grand scheme of things. Indicators are really cheap. Uh, you know, you, you can buy New Zealand wool and there's a way where you can just get the wool, cut what you feel is an appropriate, um, size. I believe if you were to, um, trying to think of a, of a, of a good analogy for, for what the size is, but, um, If you were to have the kind of the thickness of a water, like a small watercolor paintbrush, you know, something you would use for a small art project, um, kind of that thickness on each side and have that indicator, uh, tied with about, say, one inch of material and pretend you're making a small watercolor paintbrush. Uh, that would be a good size to start with. The New Zealand Toolkit allows you to install that yarn with a little piece of tubing. Don't be intimidated by it. It's way easier than you think. They have some great videos. To me, that's the best way to do it. Um, you can get the New Zealand Kit, you get the New Zealand Wool, you plug it in, and you can make a, a ton of indicators for like 19 bucks. Um, the other way to do it is you can actually just get the wool, or you can get some type of polypropylene yarn and put an overhand knot in your leader. And But you don't close it, so it's basically just a single overhand knot. So you form a loop, and you take your tippet in through, and you've basically got this open overhand loop, and you take your yarn and you put it in the middle of that, and then you pull that knot shut. And uh, the risk of this is you're not going to be able to, op- you're, if, you, if you truly have that leader tapered down to a 0x, which I recommend, you're not going to be able to open that back up and repair it. I do this way because I'm very experienced in building them and I don't have to redo them a lot. And I actually like to lock them in and then I'll change my tippet length based on water depth. As you're feeling your way into this, the New Zealand system is better. You can move it up and down the line and you can rebuild the indicator if that yarn becomes too sparse, gets too soggy, or it's too thick and it's too much indicator. You want this indicator to to be sparse enough that it dries out on every cast and lands on the water. Very delicate and very buoyant like a feather. Um, so I treat mine, even the New Zealand wool, I'm going to treat mine with a Loon Aqual Floatant. And, uh, I also keep a strike indicator comb to pick those fibers apart and maximize the surface area and the fibers. So I think an indicator comb is another, uh, essential, uh, part of this, this leader setup. So, uh, I am going to post today uh, a blog article on kind of how to do this, how to build it, the products that you need. It's, it really allows you to fish a lighter setup and still get those same incredibly fast sink rates that you would with much heavier rig. It holds drifts better and cleaner with less maintenance in those soft edges and it puts more trout in the net. Ultimately, the goal isn't always more trout but it's more trout on a very light, delicate, fun way to set it up. And if you have a good rig, you can chill out a little bit. You don't have to be, you don't have to fish like a, you know, a drill sergeant or a neo-Nazi and take everything like it's, you know, life or death. Um, You know, you just chill out. You got a good rig. You can run some nice drifts through soft edges, and it's a, just a great way to fish, so... I hope that's helpful. Check out uh, redsflyshop.com slash blog for the whole, the full blown write up. And, uh, if you listened all the way to the end, gotta get you the promo code, man. It's a deal, 10% off any order from now through March 31st, 2021. And that is promo code podcast 21. So thanks for listening. Check out the blog and there's probably going to be a YouTube video I post as well, just really diagramming, uh, all the real fine details of this setup.